Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. Well, good morning, Salem Alliance. My name is Gordon. I am one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to be with you on this last weekend of August. This is our Family Gather series and on superheroes, and particularly this morning, I want to give a special welcome to our S3 congregation who wouldn't normally be here, but they'd normally be in Cedar Hall with their own worship, but welcome to our deaf congregation, so actually like this. Anyway, it's great to have them with us today. So this is a superheroes series. And there's a little-known fact, some of you may not be aware of this, that superheroes get their power from fruit snacks. (laughs) So let's invite the ushers to come so we can uh, join them in that. And uh, this week I heard, by the way, that the uh, CEO of Costco actually sends us a thank you note every August. (laughs) So it's really great because their profits spike this month. So a while back, Pastor Steve uh, pulled together those of us that would be preaching during this month, and when we sat there and he went around the room and he said, okay, now what superhero do you want? And so uh, he started with Ashley, and she said Batman, and that was two weeks ago, and then Rod Pepping had uh, the Hulk, that was last week, and then he looked at me and I said Spider-Man, and he and Brian Candelo immediately said, well, who else? Now, they didn't say that to anybody else. They just said it to me, and so you may wonder, why would Pastor Steve and Brian say that to me? And probably the reason is is that they've been in my office, and they looked up at my shrine, I mean my shelf, to Spider-Man and uh, saw, well, I brought my Spider-Man shopping bag along, so let me, so it could be that they've seen my Spider-Man puzzle up there or this, whatever that is, and uh, maybe this guy, Spider-Man here, and of course my action figure, they've seen that. So that could be why, you know, that they made that comment, but I'm really wondering if it might be because of this. (laughs) Yes, wait. There it is. Yes, I do own a Spider-Man Snuggie. Now, who knew that a blanket with sleeves could be so popular, right? So, yes, Spider-Man is my favorite superhero, and probably for a couple of reasons. I mean, I love his spider powers. You know, he can crawl up walls and hang from ceilings, and uh, his senses are heightened. And I think the coolest thing is that he shoots web out of his wrists. I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? I was going to bring a can of Silly String with me, but a certain pastor said, you're not doing that in the worship center here. So, so much for that idea. I also like Spider-Man because he's vulnerable. 
And he reminds me, really, in a sense, of me or us because he doesn't always make the right decisions. He's, I mean, he's insecure about things and struggles. And so I like him for that reason, too. Now, if you don't know the story of Spider-Man, Peter Parker is a teenager when he is bit by a radioactive spider. That gives him the powers. Now he wakes up the next morning and his body feels different and strange and he goes to school. And the school bully picks on him again like he has basically every day. But this time, Peter humiliates him. So a couple of days later, Peter is driving in the car with his Uncle Ben. Peter lives with his Uncle Ben and Aunt May because his parents are deceased. Uncle Ben doesn't know about his new powers, but Uncle Ben wants to speak into Peter's life. He wants to give him some wisdom for how to live. So let's listen to what Uncle Ben says. We haven't talked at all for so long. Your Aunt May and I don't even know who you are anymore. You shirk your chores. You you have all those weird experiments in in your your room. You you start fights at school. I didn't start that fight. I told you that. What was I supposed to do? Run away? No, no, you're not supposed to run away. But, Pete, look, you're changing. I know. I went through exactly the same thing at your age. No, not exactly. Peter. These are the years when a man changes into the man he's going to become the rest of his life. Just be careful who you change into. This guy, Flash Thompson, he probably deserved what happened. But just because you can beat him up doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. There it is. With great power comes great responsibility. What great advice. Now, Uncle Ben probably is unaware of the fact that he's actually paraphrasing Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, let's see what Jesus said. Much is required from those to whom much is given, and much more is required from those to whom much more is given. With great power comes great responsibility. So what Jesus is saying to us is that he has expectations. We have been given much. And there are expectations of that. We have the very breath that we breathe right now is a gift from him. We have spiritual gifts, we have skills, we have abilities, we have opportunities, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have been given much and God has expectations of us and the day will come when he's going to ask for an account. So what I'd like to do this morning is to have us dig into this a little bit deeper through the lens of a father, a son, and a grandson. So I'm talking about David, Solomon, and Rehoboam. And at the end of the message, there's going to be an opportunity for us to respond to what God is saying to us today. So let's start with David. About two years ago, we did a teaching series on the life of David. 
We called it Choices. And during that series, we looked at the heights of David's life and his leadership. I mean, his tremendous faith, the way he rallied men to himself, and he brought Israel together, and just these great things. And we looked at the depths of his life. I mean, in essence, David was an absentee dad to most of his kids. He had a one-night stand with a married woman that resulted in her getting pregnant. He made arrangements for that woman's husband to be killed. And at times, David's ego got in the way of his leadership. So there are heights to David's life, and these depths were huge. David was the best king Israel ever had. And yet his sins and the consequences to those were huge. So it begs the question, what set David apart? And I'd like to suggest that David sat in the seat of conviction. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 32. Okay, Psalm 32. Right about in the middle of your Bibles, if you're using one of the pew Bibles, you're going to go to page 887, 887. Psalm 32, David cries out in confession. So I'm going to read the first five verses. <clears throat> oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So David recognizes that there's a gap between he and God because of his sin. And he longs for that gap to come together, and he recognizes, I need to confess. And forgiveness then removed his sin. Matter of fact, it talks about being concealed, so it was out of sight, and today we'd use the word expunged. David's record was made clean. It was clear from God's perspective, and that's what happens to you and I when we confess our sins. Our record is expunged. When we're in our cycle of sin, it just keeps us in misery and hiddenness. David talks about that. I love verse 5, where confession meets grace. We've been singing about that this morning. David sat in the seat of conviction. In the New Testament, God makes this remarkable statement about David. It's found in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Let's see what it says. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, 
a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Was God aware of his sin? Yes. And the consequences? Absolutely. But God's declaration about David is, he's a man after my heart and he's going to obey. He's going to follow me. So, what does conviction look like? I want to suggest three things this morning. The first is that it confesses sin when made aware. When David became aware, he went to God and he dealt with his sin appropriately. That is what set David apart from others in that seat of conviction. Number two, it desires relationship with God. In Psalm 32, and if you read a little farther in Psalm 51, David cries out, he says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. David longed to have that gap brought back together. He wanted relationship with God above all else. Then number three, it's ready to obey. What does God say in Acts 13? He says, he will obey. He's ready to do everything that I want. So David knew that was his response. So with great power comes great responsibility. David sat in the seat of conviction. So there's the dad. Now what about the son, Solomon? What seat did Solomon sit in? So let's take our Bibles and let's turn back to 1 Kings 3. So you're going to go back to the left a little bit. 1 Kings chapter 3, if you're using the Bible here in the pew, it's 538. 1 Kings 3. I'm going to read verse 3 and then drop down to verse 10. Here's verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon, too, offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. Now drop down to verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. What a great start. Solomon loved the Lord, says that he followed him, and he had this great start. He asked for wisdom. When God offered him a blank check, he said, I need wisdom, God, to lead your people. So Solomon had a great start, but is that the seat that he sat in? Well, we need to read a little farther. So go a few pages to your right to chapter 11, page 557, 1 Kings 11. 
So I'm going to read the first six verses. Let's see what happened here. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab and Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth. What a dumbhead. <laughs> and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. Solomon had this great start, but he cracked the door open early. When we read in 1 Kings 3, it said that he still was doing some worship on the high places. That's a long story about what that meant. And he married an Egyptian princess right off the bat. He cracked the door open, and then that just started to get wider and wider. And he accumulated wives like you'd accumulate horses and wealth and power. And it says that they were his undoing, and he accommodated them, he joined in with them, and Solomon became the wisest fool that ever lived. So what seat did Solomon sit in? Solomon sat in the seat of compromise. Some of you may have read the book or maybe you've seen the movie, uh, The Curious Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jekyll is this respected doctor and Mr. Hyde is this hideous monster that does terrible things. And Dr. Jekyll has this potion then when he drinks it, he becomes Mr. Hyde, goes out and does terrible things comes back to his lab, drinks the antidote, and then becomes Dr. Jekyll again. And then he does this time after time after time until one morning he woke up as Mr. Hyde. And it surprised him, and he goes to his lab, and he drinks the antidote, and nothing happens. And then he drinks all of the antidote, and nothing happens. And he had opened the door to evil time and time again until he became what he was doing. Church, that is Solomon's story. Solomon opened the door until he became that compromised person. So, what does compromise look like? 
Let me again suggest three things. Number one, it is a slow digression. I don't believe for a moment that Solomon woke up one morning halfway through his reign and said, hey, this would be a good idea to start worshiping idols. Let's go do it. No. Remember, he started with just cracking that door open early, and then it just kept getting wider. Compromise in our lives is a slow digression, and small compromises weaken our character. And when our character is weakened, then that just continues to open the door for larger sin. And compromise needs to be nipped immediately. So compromise is a slow digression. Number two, it substitutes my leadership for God's. Solomon was making decisions that were expedient, that seemed right in his own eyes. A number of years ago, I had a young lady come to visit with me, energetic, bubbly, enthusiastic about starting a new ministry. She had had some pretty rough patches in her past, and she wanted to start a ministry that would reach out to women who had experienced the same thing that she had. Now, that's actually a great idea. So we sat down and we talked, asked her to tell me her story. And in, as she's telling me her story, she says that she's living with her boyfriend. So I asked her, how does following Christ and wanting to start a ministry fit with that? She didn't have an answer. Why? Because she was substituting her leadership for God's. And that's what compromise does. Number three, it maintains secrets. Compromise oftentimes looks good on the outside, but there are secrets that the person is keeping within. Now, we may think, wow, Solomon, he's building temples and stuff. That seems pretty obvious. But remember how it started. It started small and quiet. And then it began to grow until halfway or longer into his reign. Then it becomes public. With great power comes great responsibility. And Solomon sat in the seat of compromise with what God had given him. So there's the dad, there's the son. Now what about the grandson? His name is Rehoboam. So if you're in 1 Kings 11, just go one page to the right to chapter 12. Solomon dies, his son now becomes king. So I'll start with verse one, let's see what happens. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. 
Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, Give me three days to think this over. Then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father, Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them, how should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. The people come, and they, in essence, are asking for tax reform. You know, can you give us some tax relief? And so as we read, he asked the two groups. He rejects Solomon's cabinet. He accepts what his own boys say. And if you are familiar with the rest of the story, absolute disaster comes from here because the nation of Israel is split in two. Civil war breaks out. And it just goes downhill from here. This is a horrible situation. What seat did Rehoboam sit in? Rehoboam sat in the seat of confusion. He was foolish. He was stubborn. There is no indication in any Bible verse about him that he ever sought God once. He's de- he makes decisions on his own wisdom. He doesn't take God into account. He inherited probably more than any other king because of dad, and yet he squandered it. There's a summary of his life in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. Let's look at what verse 14 says. But he was an evil king, for he did not seek the Lord with all his heart. That's what God put on Rehoboam's tombstone. He was an evil king. So, What does confusion look like? Again, let me give you three things. First, it does not factor God into decisions. Rehoboam did not pay attention to the one he should have, and he just paid attention to himself. Confusion does not factor God into decisions. Number two, 
It looks for advice in the wrong places. Now, Solomon's cabinet give him advice, and that may sound like that was really good advice, but they're compromised too because of Solomon's life. And then Rehoboam's boys are brash and arrogant and they're self-seeking. And Rehoboam listens to them. And when we're in a place of confusion, we will listen to anybody who tickles our ego and our desire. And so confusion looks for advice in the wrong places. Number three, it takes others down with you. Rehoboam means to enlarge the people. What a great legacy that would have been for him. But he did anything but that. What the text tells us around his life is that he took Israel and the nation down with him into deeper sin and sin and sin. And confusion is never content to be alone. It will drag others with you. With great power comes great responsibility. Rehoboam abandoned God and he abandoned any measure of responsibility. So he sat in that seat. So, what's the solution to confusion and compromise? At the end of the Bible, Jesus writes letters to seven churches. Five of those seven are sitting in the seats of compromise and confusion. And Jesus has one word to all five churches. The word is repent. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the word repentance, this is what it means. Repentance means to turn from and to turn to. And so it means to turn from compromise and confusion and to turn to God. It means I agree, God, with you about what that was. I confess it, and I'm turning to you. So we'll put one more thought on the screen. The pathway from confusion and compromise, compromise and confusion to conviction is repentance. That's how we get here to this seat. When I was in college, there was a season when I sat in this seat, and I sat squarely in this seat. You see, I looked good on the outside, going to church every weekend. I was doing some Bible teaching, but I had a secret sin. Basically, nobody else knew about it, and I sat for way too long in this seat. Now it took a pretty strong act of God to get me out of this seat to come here. 
And when we read Psalm 32, like we did today, I'm one who, like with David, am so, so grateful for, th- for forgiveness. Because I deserve nothing because of my past, and God has cleared my record. So I want to ask you tonight, today as we close, what seat are you sitting in? Is your life marked by conviction where you confess when you're made aware? There's a desire for God and you're ready to obey. Or is your life marked by secrets? Maybe you're ignoring God. Is your life marked by your own leadership? What seat are you sitting in this morning? Now, no one else is looking at you, and I want to ask you just to let your eyes rest on one of the three cards. You say, that's the seat I'm sitting in today. Would you just do that? You know, this summer, the Lord has been dealing with us in some pretty heavy things. Sometimes we think that summertime maybe is a little bit lighter with stuff at church, but in our Culture Shock series, the Lord confronted us with things like, how do we respond to people that we disagree with? Or substances that may be controlling us and we're abusing them. Or we talked about some sexual sin areas or consumerism, even social media. How are we using that? In the last several weeks in this superhero series, Ashley brought a word about sticking up for the defenseless, standing in the gap. Last week, if you were here, the message had to deal with anger. What are we doing with anger in us? God has been doing some pretty serious work with us as a church this summer. And so this morning, as we close, I'm going to invite you to respond to that. If you know that you're sitting in a compromise or confusion, here's an opportunity to move towards conviction. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand, and then I'm going to pray, and Jeff and the team are going to come out and lead us in a last song. And this will be a chance for you to come forward, and I want you to come here to the front. You can kneel, you can sit, you can stand, you can lay down, but this is a place where repentance and confession meets love and grace. And so while I'm praying or while we're singing, this is a moment where Holy Spirit is working on some of your hearts, up in the balcony, here on the floor, and moments call for movement. And so in this moment, I'm going to invite you to move, and it takes some courage to come. But my promise to you is this, the moment you move your foot towards, in that movement, Holy Spirit's going to meet with you and begin to lift the burden and love and grace meet repentance and confession. So would you stand? And we're going to close in prayer. So you can begin to come at any time. So Lord Jesus, we are just so grateful today for your gift that's free of forgiveness. 
So Jesus, just wash over us, wash over, just like the waves of a sea crashing over us. And Jesus, we just invite you to come. Holy Spirit, do that work of conviction and then bring the freedom that only you can give. So Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you're doing. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.